18 through 25. Now the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, took place this way. When his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, but before they lived together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Her husband Joseph, being a righteous man and unwilling to expose her to public disgrace, planned to dismiss her quietly. But just when he had resolved to do this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Look, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall name him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. When Joseph awoke from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took her as a wife, but had no marital relations with her until she bore a son, and he named him Jesus. These are the words of God, the people of God. Thanks be to God. So excited about Christmas, a particular little boy was finishing up his letter to Santa Claus. He had made a list of all the toys he was hoping to receive that Christmas. And having finished that letter, putting it into an envelope, addressing it to the North Pole, and putting it in the capable hands of his mother, he began thinking, how can I cover my bases? Santa's good, but who might be better? And so he got out a piece of paper and he began to write a list and a, and a letter to Jesus. In the letter to Jesus, he began by saying, for the last six months, I have been a very good boy. I would like these toys for Christmas. As he was finishing up the letter, he realized if Jesus is better than Santa Claus, he may actually know that for the last six months, the boy had not been good. And so he crumbled up that piece of paper and threw it away, got out another sheet of paper and began, Jesus, for the last three months, I have been a very good boy. I would like these toys for Christmas. As he finished that letter, he began thinking to himself again that he might not actually have been good for the last three months. And so he crumbles up that piece of paper and throws it away, and he begins walking through the house and finds himself at the living room. In the living room was where the Christmas tree was and the very beautiful, ornate nativity scene. With no one watching, he walks up to the nativity scene, grabs the figure of the Virgin Mary, heads back to his room, gets out another piece of paper, and begins the letter. If you'd ever like to see your mother again, dot, dot, dot. 
I mean, let's be honest. I suspect none of us could write a letter that we were perfectly good for the last six months, much less the last three years, three months. There's a little naughtiness in all of us, isn't there? Our scripture passage today talks about the birth of Jesus, that particular announcement of the birth of Jesus. Shortly after Gabriel tells Mary about um, the birth that she is going to have, that she has become pregnant by the power of the Holy Spirit and that she would give birth to the Messiah, Mary shared this news with Joseph. And if you were listening to the scripture passage, Joseph is doubtful. He goes to bed that night, tosses and turns, probably feels a little hurt and angry at Mary's apparent infidelity. But in the middle of his sleep, a vision comes to him. Um, An angel says to him, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. What does it mean to talk about Jesus as the one who saves us from our sins? Last week, uh, if you tuned in, our associate pastor, Josh Lemons, did an excellent job of unpacking what it means to call Jesus the Christ or the anointed or our king. Today, let's look a little bit more uh, closely at Jesus's name and what it might mean for us in understanding uh, our uh, need for saving and who our savior is. Jesus is an Anglicanized version of the Greek version of his name. If you look in the Hebrew, uh, Jesus is referred to as Yeshua. Uh, It's a shortened version of Yeshua. And this particular name means in Hebrew that God saves, or God delivers, or that God helps. When the angel says to Joseph, you will name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins, he is saying that this child has a particular purpose. This child is all about the work of saving Now, despite the fact that the New Testament represents only about a quarter of the entire Bible, Jesus' name appears more than any other person in Scripture over 1,600 times. Apparently, we should pay attention to him. The angels speaking to the shepherds on that first Christmas night announced to them, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. But what does it mean to have a Savior? So let's talk a little bit about what does it mean to be saved. Now, if we were to ask people out on the street, anywhere, uh, what does it mean to be saved? And are you saved? I think we would find that people identify being saved as being saved from their sins, as being saved from hell, as being part of a church. Now, I wanna be honest with you that that particular word, being saved, 
comes from the Hebrew word yasha and the Greek word sozo. Now, sozo is more than just saved from your wrongdoings. Sozo has wrapped up in it that Greek word, definitions of healing, of saving, of rescuing, of redeeming, that there is more in that word. If there was a Bethlehem fire department, it might be in the business of sozoing. So that word saved, what does it mean to be saved? I can tell you that when I tell the story about when I was saved, it happened on the shore of Lakeview, looking out across at the cross in the middle of the lake. It was when I was in seventh grade at summer camp and a preacher way up in front was talking about Jesus and our sins and God's love for us. And me being an ADHD kid before ADHD was cool, I was looking at the stars and looking at the sand and counting the ants crawling across the ground in front of me. But when I heard the preacher in front say that there are, that God loves all of us the same, that no matter how many people there are in the sands of the universe or the stars in the sky, that God loves each one of us individually for who we were. That perked my ears up. And I remember my feet walking me down to the front of that Vespers service. And I offered a prayer asking for Jesus to be my Lord and my Savior. Now, if you'd asked me at that time in the seventh grade what it meant, it meant a lot of things. But let's be honest, when I got back from summer camp, Some of those regular habits and different uh, behaviors uh, all kind of came back as well. That our saving, the saving work of Jesus is not done in a moment, but it's done over a lifetime, over a friendship. When I look at Adam Hamilton's work in Incarnation, he defines the word saved as used in the New Testament. He says that you'll find it used to describe physical healing, forgiveness, rescuing from one's enemy, rescuing from disasters, deliverance from suffering, an internal transformation upon placing one's faith in Christ and God's deliverance at that last day. Adding to the confusion, the term is used in various tenses. Jesus in the New Testament authors at times speak of having been saved, but yet Paul talks about our being saved. And then we also find Jesus and the apostles talking about the future tense, describing those who will be saved. There are many ways in which Jesus saves us. I'd like to highlight just a couple. Jesus saves us from our sins. Now, um, what's most important about who we are is not that we are Christians who are sinners, but yet we are believers who have a savior. Now, in so many ways, we talk about sin in difficult uh, terms. What we need to do is talk clearly about sin. That sin comes from uh, the word hamarsha, which means to miss the mark. And if sin is about missing the mark, then we should come to terms with ourselves that there is a right way to do things. There is a right way to live, There is a way to live in such a way that we stay on the path of God's calling for our lives, that we live in such a way 
that we bring about love and peace and forgiveness, that sin is when we deviate from that path. Adam Hamilton describes the path this way, the path we're meant to live, the ideal we were created to pursue is laid out throughout scripture. It includes practicing justice, demonstrating loving kindness, and walking humbly with God. It includes sharing our food with the hungry, our clothing with the naked, and having compassion for the sick, the stranger, and the prisoner. It is captured in the Ten Commandments, as well as Jesus' Sermon on the Mount and his parables, the words of the prophets and the apostles, and much more. Jesus summarized the path with two commandments that Moses had given us. Love God with your entire being and love your neighbor as yourself. The latter he summarized again with the golden rule. In everything, do to others as you would have them do to you. I wonder, do you always walk the path? If you're like me, deviations from the path happen all the time. What is most descriptive of us is not that we are sinners, but that we have a savior. When we stay to the path, the world is like it's supposed to be. The story of Adam and Eve in the Old Testament is a story about how the world was supposed to be until you and I wandered off the path. How do we describe this work of God in saving us? Jesus saves us from sin by climbing on the cross and dying for us. That that Jesus saves us from sin, not by paying a price, but rather showing what God's love looks like when God gives it all up for us. God loses a son so that we might have life. Dietrich Bonhoeffer describes this, uh, where he talks about the cost of discipleship. Bonhoeffer says, grace is costly because it calls us to follow, and it is grace because it calls us to follow Jesus Christ. It is costly because it costs a man his life, and it is grace because it gives a man the only true life. It is costly because it condemns sin and grace, because it justifies the sinner. Above all, it is costly, because it cost God the life of his son. You were bought at a price, and what has cost God much cannot be cheap for us. Above all, it is grace, because God did not reckon his son too dear a price to pay for our lives, but delivered him up for us. Costly grace is the incarnation of God. When we talk about Jesus saving us, we are talking about Jesus saving us not just from sin, but also from hopelessness, meaninglessness, and despair. Jesus gives us purpose. By following the path, we find our lives have purpose to love and forgive and serve others. That Jesus saves, not just by saving us from sin, but also saving us from the regret Uh, the resentment, and the consequences of sin. Jesus saves because Jesus is love incarnate for us. In 1967, Barnett Helsberg of Helsberg's Jewelers, a national jewelry store that's headquartered in Kansas City, 
developed a marketing theme around I am loved. His girlfriend Shirley had just accepted his proposal for marriage and he knew that he was loved. And from this came the idea of giving people small clip-on buttons that said, I am loved. The initial order of 50,000 buttons was gone in a heartbeat and millions more were ordered. In the same way, that work of uh, I am loved 50 years later, later on can still be found in Hellsberg's diamonds and jewelry. Everyone longs to be loved. It's a fundamental need that we have. It is who we are that we want to be loved, cared for, and valued by others. The story of Advent, the story of Christmas, is the story of a God who loves us, of a God who came down at Christmas, of a God who cares so deeply for us that he gave his only precious son for us. Christina Rossi, Rossetti, um, who's the author of the hymn, Love Came Down at Christmas, also penned the uh, poem, In the Bleak Midwinter. In one of its stanzas, you can find the words, what can I give him, poor as I am? If I were a shepherd, I would bring a lamb. If I were a wise man, I would do my part. Yet what can I give him? I can give him my heart. When we talk about Jesus saves, our response in Advent, our response in worship is to recognize that love came down at Christmas to a stable in Bethlehem, to two poor parents and a handful of night shift shepherds, that that love that they would experience in the birth of that child would end up healing the sick, forgiving sinners, welcoming children, feeding the hungry, and caring for disciples. This idea of love, that God loves us so much, is made real in the story of Advent. What does it mean to have Jesus as our Savior? What it means is that there is a path, a right way to live, and that when we deviate from that path, Jesus saves us, he rescues us, he heals us, he delivers us, and he redeems us. The power of Jesus' life, death and resurrection, can be summed up in that first declaration to Joseph. When Joseph hears that his wife will be having a son and that he will name him Jesus, for he will save us from our sins. Jesus saves us from sin and guilt and shame. He rescues us from meaninglessness and hopelessness. And in the end, he delivers us from death. And this, friends, is why we call him the Savior. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.